Waves in the Finiverse. The industry attracted great talent, but more importantly, attracted a lot of great talent with similar passion into making the world a much more open, permissionless space, which means that whatever assets comes into their wallets is as it was previously. Your wallet is your wallet. It's not really commingled with anybody else's wallet, which means the risk of your assets being commingled with anybody else's asset is impossible. Some of the complications are really the complexity in operating in the digital space. You make it harder for a malicious actor to figure out all those different key components uh, and then overtake them all simultaneously and then theoretically take over your wallet. The change in kind of the adoption model from a retail sense, what is that going to do in terms of technology, right? Welcome to Waves in the Finiverse. I'm Walter Jennings, the host of a podcast brought to you by Finiverse. We're talking with the wave makers that are creating ripples, waves, and tsunamis across finance, crypto, fintech, Web3, and beyond. Listen weekly to hear the change makers talk firsthand about their experiences in this dynamic industry. Greetings from Hong Kong Fintech Week. This is Walter Jennings, host of Waves in the Finiverse. I'm joined in our booth here on Hong Kong Fintech Week by Amy Chung. Welcome, so well, nice to see you. Now, Amy, introduce uh, your role. You're at Fireblocks and you're heading their VIP and institutional area for APAC. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so um, I run sales for Fireblocks here in APAC. Um, and before Fireblocks, well, almost three years ago, I was in a different digital asset company. Uh, and prior to that, my background is in traditional finance. I was a sales trader at Deutsche. I really started my career from that route and I moved into the digital asset space and never looked back. Yeah, we were talking before the show about how uh, crypto ruins you for traditional finance. <laughs> yes. Uh, why is that? Um, I think a lot of it is the industry attracted great talent, but more importantly, attract a lot of great talent with similar passion into making the world a much more open, permissionless space. And that natural mantra that attracted all of us in this space um, allow us to communicate in a way that share ideas and have that openness and then really create an industry that we can all love and enjoy working in. You know, as we look around the floor here at Hong Kong FinTech Week, you see so many companies and you understand that to deliver in this, uh, in digital finance, it, it really does take an ecosystem. Absolutely. So tell me about Fireblocks and its role in digital assets. Sure, sure. Um, I always like to describe ourselves as the not so sexy company in a way, because our main role is deal with the plumbing and all the back end and all the security that comes with dealing with the digital asset industry. I think one of the things we take for granted when we in from traditional finance is all the back office, mid office, their whole entire infrastructure with tons and hundreds of systems that use to support how banks operate. Um, in the digital asset space, it is much leaner, much more efficient, much more secure way to operate, but also means that usually because we're a new industry, the providers have to manage those things themselves. And that's where Firebox comes in. Um, we help institutional clients, whether you are an exchange, a trading firm, a bank, to build a digital asset infrastructure that allows them to store the digital asset in a secure manner and allows them to transfer the digital asset in an efficient and secure way 
more importantly, if you take that a step further, when we think about all the functions you can do on the blockchain, i.e. mint, burn, contract call, you can use Fireblocks to help you to do really anything within the Web3 space. You know, um, a year is a decade in crypto, um, uh, and I'm going to really go back in time to 2020 when wow. a lot of people were talking about the kind of tipping point for institutional involvement in crypto. And many of the things you mentioned about the, the plumbing mm -hmm. uh, from you know, custody and secure transfers, uh, we're holding institutions back, but you know, now we flash forward to 2022. What is the support network for institutions getting into crypto look like today? Absolutely, so I think Today, the two things is clear. One, there's a lot more regulatory clarity, right? Where institutions who typically have to follow a specific set of rules, previously it was a bit of a gray area. And now that it become very clear as to how they should operate, what license they need to get, what additional documentation to support, um, that's all clear in majority of kind of the G10, G20 countries, Hong Kong, Singapore specifically. Um, so that's definitely one thing that's been cleared up. The second thing from an infrastructure perspective, absolutely, you now as an institution, you can come to a place like Fireblocks and we can help you to build out your whole entire infrastructure to the way you need from a wallet perspective. You can do it, you know, in a pure SaaS format. You can do it if you decide on-prem. All the different options that you have an institution would need from an infrastructure provider perspective we now have, meaning, you know, we're stuck to a type to audit it. We have you know, Ernest and Young do our audits and co-reviewed all of these things that an institution, when they procure technology, need to check across. Um, we already done that already. So I think that makes the buying process from a institution's perspective much more simpler. And meaning the people who want to launch projects can work with providers that allows them to really scale. Amy, early stage investors I've spoken to at institutions um, used to go into crypto by buying into funds that invested in crypto or companies that became proxy for crypto, whether it's an exchange or a hedge fund with a large holding. There was always a challenge with institutions holding the coins Absolutely. themselves. Uh -huh. uh, how have you overcome that? Because so many institutions didn't want to take custody. Absolutely. Um, I think there are a shift in um, what institutions perceive as the security benefit of self-custody versus third-party custodian, right? In the traditional world, you've got the Bank of New York Mellons of the world who have been historically taking deposits of cash securities on behalf of institutions. They are licensed, they have got balance sheets, and all of these things you need when you want a third-party custodian. Right, and that just allows the institutions to know that what they own is being held in a secure environment and will be there when they come back. Absolutely, but unlike those things, in the digital asset world, we operate bearer instruments, right? Meaning now we're seeing a trend where institutions prefer to hold it themselves. Like, why would I take someone else's third-party counterparty operational risk Right when I could build and use a very robust infrastructure and allow me to build it to my specification internally. Also, we're seeing the trend where banks, especially local banks, right, or local custodial banks, are now taking this opportunity in digital asset to build their own custodial infrastructure because previously they leveraged a third-party custodian like a Bank of New York Mellon and et cetera. And that's ultimately why the big four is the big four because everyone else sub-custody out to them. And we're seeing this trend where regional banks are saying, hey, like we have the licensing, we've seen an opportunity, and maybe digital asset is the way we go into custody and provide those services for our end clients and be allowed to be more efficient and more 
uh, make more revenue. Right. So if I'm then a regional bank and I'm in Malaysia and I want to enter into crypto custody, but I don't have the capabilities, is that something Fireblock can help me do? Absolutely. Yes. So we start engaging with clients sometimes in the very earlier stages um, where they just have an idea. They're like, hey, I have a digital strategy and we work with them to decide which path they want to go on. Do you want to do brokerage? Do you want to do peer custody? Are you looking to securitization? And then from there, um, obviously our bread and butter is the wallet infrastructure tech, uh, tech and the transferring process of it all. We bring in partners that can help them throughout their delivery. So we, are, we have partners with Chain Analysis, with Tokeny, with the various other platform around the whole entire call life cycle building a digital asset business. We bring these partners in, we work together to deliver a holistic product for them. You know, we talked with Kim Grauer at Chainalysis about the um, rise of fraud and um, uh, different um, crimes uh, online. Um, as the custodian, do you then suddenly become susceptible to some of those risk issues? Uh, sure. If, uh, I lend, if I ask you to take custody of a nice clean coin, will I get a nice clean coin when I re it's returned? So Fireblocks is a self-custody solution, meaning we give customers their whole stack, right? Which means that whatever assets comes into their wallets is as it was previously. We don't have an omnibus structure like a normal custodian would. Um, being a technology provider, you as the vendor knows that whatever you receive is what you will get. So that's one of the benefit we're working with Fireblocks. In addition to that, we're integrated with software like Chain Analysis to allow you to set rules on what you do with these coins if they reflect as you know precarious or whatever the, 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 the origin of these coins are. Um, and that allows you as a compliance team to have real-time robust control over these assets. Obviously in digital assets, you can't stop a fund coming into your wallet. So having that kind of post kind of inflow triage mechanism is super important if you want to be compliant. Amy, I, I just want to, for our listeners who don't work in this industry, mm -hmm. back out for a moment, because there is, a, you know, the, the issue is that we're talking about say a Bitcoin, and that is actually fungible. Uh, there's really no difference between one coin and the other, except sometimes the provenance of that coin might have come from, um, you know, uh, dark web markets or uh, illegal sites. And the nice thing is that whatever coin I give you uh, comes back to me. So whether it's a fungible or a non-fungible item, it's the like-for-like -like return. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, good. No, I just wanted our listeners to understand why this matters, because sometimes coins can have a tainted history. Of course. Um, and in a setup that we have, your wallet is your wallet. It's not really commingled with anybody else's wallet, which means the risk of your assets being commingled with anybody else's asset is impossible, right? So that's definitely a benefit for a lot of folks. No, um, it says Fireblocks, your mission is to enable every business to easily and securely support digital assets and cryptocurrencies. There are a lot of businesses here. How would the, uh, how would a coffee company or a Starbucks or someone like that get involved with Fireblock? Sure. Um, there's actually one of two ways. We're seeing a trend where large um, retail brands are now building their own using digital assets as a way of managing their own payment systems, right? So if you look at what Walmart has done in the US and what Starbucks is doing with NFTs, there's many ways for them to either, from a marketing perspective, use NFTs as a way to interact with their audience. That's way number one. Or secondly, allowing them to accept 
uh, digital assets as a form of payments, right? Paying or payouts. The third way, I guess I will ask, we work with payments companies like WorldPay, like Chaka.com, who have had you know long history of supporting these merchants as a payment service provider. We enable them with the sets of tools that allow them to continue to service their merchants today and offer them the ability to accept digital assets as a form of payments. That's already live, We've done tons of those last week, so. Yeah, and Amy, that uh, payment gateway announcement is relatively new to Fireblocks. Yes. Uh, uh, and uh, how does that open up the world of paying with crypto to the ordinary uh, person in the street? Absolutely, so we launched this uh, payments engine um, last week, right, in money 2020. Um, and really where it comes, we service the PSPs from a uh, approach perspective. They are already in with the merchant. They are already either the terminal or the software or the backend with these merchants. Now all they have to do is to speak to their merchants. If they want to use crypto as a form of payment, they can work with their PSPs like Checkout.com or WorldPay to turn that on. I don't think we will be in the business of convincing merchants to use us directly. Um, but absolutely, we will support all the PSPs around the world to enable that for their end merchants. Now, um, during FinTech Week here, um, uh, we hear more and more about the metaverse. Uh, mm -hmm. And um, as Fireblock thinks about payments and uh, interactivity and ease of connection, uh, how do your solutions um, adapt for the metaverse? So I think when you look at what the metaverse ultimately is and where we play, which is the blockchain piece of the metaverse, right? We look at actually the same as, as all we've done for the last four years. You know, they need a secure wallet infrastructure. It doesn't matter if it's a Bitcoin or an NFT or some sort of other tokens or whatever standards, right? We will support all of those in a secure and very robust manner. So actually our approach to the metaverse has been taking all the lessons we've learned in a high scalable, highly scalable manner and highly secure manner and work with companies to support that. So, you know, it could be as simple today, really the metaverse is about, you know, maybe minting loyalty tokens, maybe working with brands to allow them to interact with their audience in a two-way perspective. We already have tons of clients who are using us to do that already. And maybe in day two, day three, once infrastructure gets more mature, we can definitely think of much more immersive metaverse world where the wallet is just a piece of the puzzle. I'll be a very important one, um, but the end users will actually not know any difference of how they're interacting with, with the space because it would be all done in a very intuitive way. Now, this year we've seen uh, quite a lot of volatility in the markets uh, and particularly the drop that we experienced in the middle of the year. Uh, people are calling this crypto winter. How do you see the volatility and the price changes uh, impacting uh, your business? So I would say it impacts a lot on the low end with the startup space where you, you've seen funding has really dried up in the venture space. Previously, you know, a lot of our customers are, are quite small startups. And during the crypto winter, we're seeing less of them. That's a fact. But on the bigger end, you know, all the large, well-funded, well-capitalized institutions, the traditional finance banks, they're all moving this space in a very full force. In fact, I think they prefer it. Um, given when the market is super hot, they're in this rush to have to compete. Um, and, in, you know, in a, and you know, as you know, banks don't move at that pace, right? So I think now with this crypto winter, they're feeling much more comfortable and continue to build. They're obviously moving very fast still. 
um, and they see this as a great opportunity for them to get into the space. So you're seeing continued investment in the sector. You're seeing traditional banks wanting to build out their Absolutely. infrastructure. Absolutely. Uh, and so this kind of build like a bear has some uh, relevance because this is the time to invest when the market's a little quieter, uh, so that way you're ready for the rebound. Yes. Uh, so, um, and you're responsible for the region, Asia Pacific. What are some of the highlights, uh, highlight countries or markets where you're seeing either interesting or higher rates of adoption? So we're seeing the Australian banks very active in the space, right? Obviously ANZ is a public story. Um, that we're working with them on, and, and, and you know, as a country, they're very uh, you know cloud friendly, right? So they're already in this like highly efficient base infrastructure. So a lot of their adoption to the space has been very rapid, and we're seeing a lot of movements there. Um, Singapore, obviously, with the licensing regime for the exchanges, a lot of the firms have moved down to Singapore as well. We're seeing our retail business quite uh, active there. And in Hong Kong, actually, it's always been the trading business for us, right? A lot of the OTC brokerages, trading houses, prop shops that are based here. Um, we see a lot of those continue to grow in Hong Kong as well. And um, uh, one of the subjects of conversation with the HK Monetary Authority here will be central bank digital currency or the replacement of our traditional banknotes with digital um, uh, assets uh, that would be uh, regulated and monitored by the state. Um, how is Fireblock um, prepared for central bank digital currency? Absolutely. I think it depends on how the central bank look to distribute, right? In a, in a wholesale model, we actually will help the central banks themselves to advise a model of distribution. But actually our end client ultimately is with the merchant banks, right? Because the central bank would distribute these assets and our clients will be the one who will hold it and then they'll distribute out to end users. So our client could be both the central bank and the merchant banks. Uh, and from our perspective, you know, it, it, a central bank digital currency in, in whatever standard that they choose, whether it's public or private, from our perspective, it really is the same that we've always done, right? We've done close to, you know, I think something like $2 trillion worth of assets in the Firebox network already. And having that background and the historical know-how of dealing with these high velocity assets transfers, I think we're really well positioned to support a central bank as they look to distribute this out in a, in a full capacity. I am a company or a bank. Uh, what situations do you find prospective clients and how do I know when to call you? What are the kinds of problems I'm seeing that makes me reach out to you? So generally, when you are a like a bank, for example, um, you come to us when you're in the process as the first stop, actually, because you know, as a bank, the first thing you have to solve is the wallet piece, because right. you know the big difference between a digital asset and your traditional asset is you probably have to hold this up yourself. So they usually come to us in the very early stage of their discussion. We help them to shape how they should go into these businesses together. Bank of New York Mellon is a great example of that, right? Obviously, we support them in the custodial infrastructure for the last one year and a half, and they've obviously launched and went live with us already. So that whole process gave us a lot of learnings from how to work with the bank and the challenges they will face. So for example, they may want to work with various different internal systems that will trade and execute and communicate to us in a very different way. They may want to you know, send assets to their counterparty. So we think about how we build that network. So a lot of that early kind of engagement with them, helping them to shape their strategy 
um, is kind of where we come in. And obviously the deployment and the support thereafter, that's a given. Right. So they may recognize they need to hold digital currencies. Where are they going to get a wallet? And next thing you know, they're into a, a broader suite of services and um, uh, support counseling and management consulting. I mean, not all banks the same, right? I think a lot of when we speak about banks, we think they're, you know, a, a institutional bank, right? But actually we work with a lot of, you know, banks who are merchant banks and retail banks and commercial banks. And they're approaching this and building a retail platform, for instance. And their challenges is like, how do I manage gas fees? How do I deposit all my wallets and fund all of them? How do I make sure that the inflows and outflows are KYT'd? So the institutional banks, so to speak, as they think about custodying for you know, the Black Rocks of the world, will have a very different sets of challenges than, let's say, uh, a retail bank who are looking to launch a retail platform. Okay. Now, um, Amy, you've been in the industry for at least four years. Uh, you've seen a lot of change. Uh, do you have any thoughts on what we might look forward to four years from now? What are oh, some wow. of the, I know that's a, a lifetime away, but what are some of the kind of warps and warbles that might interest you looking forward? Absolutely. So I think the big one for us is really think of the next phase. I mean, the payments aspect of the industry is really taking quite a meaningful way in a sense where these digital asset companies now becoming retail platforms and they are now looking to service payment needs and expanding across the whole entire vertical beyond just offering crypto trading, right? That's a quite interesting aspect for us. Um, I think that's a great way to get massive adoption in some capacity, like the stable coins trend, the central bank digital currencies trend. I really see the next four years to what that will become a real uh, usage of folks, right? People move away from POCs into actual production in various different countries and, and, and whatnot. So I think that's definitely one that I could guess for sure. The second piece I would say is really the maturity around DeFi in a way that DeFi currently has been a very retail driven initiative. We're seeing more and more institutions coming in and explore the options of interacting with the various different protocols um, and supporting them to do that in a way that allows them to report, allow them to control, allow them to do this securely. Um, I think the next, it's already happening now, but I'll say next three to four years, we'll see more kind of institutional product deployed in a DeFi manner. Tracks in the Finiverse. Uh, last question for you, um, and it's a bit of a surprise. We have a, a regular feature called Tracks in the Finiverse, okay. where we ask people to think of a song they would like to take with them <laughs> into the Finiverse. But is there any song that uh, you would take with you into the Finiverse? Oh man, that is hard. Uh, you know what it's going to sound like? I'm going to go take my go-to karaoke song, which is Turnaround by... Bonnie. Yeah, that's a very good one, right? Hopefully, eyes. hopefully, sing by her, not by me, into the universe, <laughs> you know, because that would not be very friendly for everybody around. <laughs> well, uh, I will not be turning this into a karaoke booth today, but if you come back tonight, uh, we'll give you a chance with bright eyes. Oh, absolutely! Thank you. Well, thank you so much for appearing on Waves in the Finiverse and uh, wishing you the best of success at Hong Kong FinTech Week with Fireblock and with the rest of your career. Thank, thank you so you, much Amy. for your time. Yeah, really great to speak with you. Waves in the Finiverse, the podcast. Speaking to the people making waves in finance, FinTech, crypto, Web3 and beyond. 
After catching up with Amy Jang of Fireblocks in Hong Kong, I'm joined here in Singapore by the head of Asia Pacific for Fireblocks, Stephen Richardson. Welcome to the Finiverse. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, it's great to, to see you. It's great to see such a crowd here. Um, so tell us, what are some of the things that you're trying to achieve here at Singapore FinTech Festival? Yeah, look, I mean, we've seen a growth in, in the FinTech space overall, right? And, and this acts as a great hub for uh, FinTech, you know, new and emerging technology within Asia Pacific, but from all over the globe, right? And so it's really a chance for us to connect with existing clients, but to also connect with new clients, potentially new clients, and see what new emerging use cases are coming out of this space. And I, I think a, a hub like this makes it a lot easier to navigate and network and, and to get a better sense for the direction of things going on. Okay, Stephen, um, uh, we're on the 20th floor. I've just, uh, the lift has arrived. Uh, we're heading down. Um, what is Fireblock? Yeah, Fireblock is a digital asset infrastructure provider. So we're not a custodian uh, in that we don't take control of digital assets on behalf of our customers. But really what we're doing is providing a technology layer and platform for our customers to be able to engage in digital assets. And that might be trading in crypto, that might be issuing NFTs and, and operating in Web3, that might be tokenizing securities and real assets in the space. There's tons of use cases for, for digital assets. And our job really at Fireblocks is to provide a technology platform that allows you to do that rapidly, quickly and securely. Uh, without having to go through the problem of actually building that yourselves. Okay, Stephen, um, it doesn't sound like a retail-focused product. Who are the customers and users of Fireblock? Really, they're institutions, right? So we're B2B. Uh, we're not focused on retail, although we have customers that are directly servicing retail. So folks like Revolut and, and large exchanges and, uh, and different retail fintechs. Uh, our job is to build the applications that make it easier for them to go to market in the space. Now, custody seems to have caused some headaches, right. uh, especially amongst institutions. Uh, why are custodians needed and what are some of the issues around the custody of digital assets? Yeah, so, I mean, there's really two use cases. There's this idea of a custodian, someone that's really safeguarding the assets on your behalf. That's not really where we operate. We actually provide technology to custodians. And then there's this idea of self-custodial technology, and that's really what we do, right? We provide the ability for you to securely hold those digital assets. Some of the complications are really the complexity in operating in the digital space. So if you think about operating on blockchain, it's a cybersecurity problem. There's not a lot of firms throughout the world that have deep cybersecurity expertise. Uh, and what we've been able to do is really package that cybersecurity expertise in a box and make it more easy for you to really just think about the operational layers that go into uh, you know executing digital assets and engaging in digital assets. And that's been one of the biggest complexities overall. You might look at some of the firms, you know, you know, financial services firms that have tried to engage in digital assets. It's taken them months, if not years, to develop wallet capabilities for you know Bitcoin or Ethereum let alone the 40 other blockchains and the multiple different tokens that exist in the space and the new and emerging use cases. So that complexity and really building out products and services that are highly secure and scalable has been a challenge for, for people. And that's been where Fireblocks has been able to accelerate uh, into that curve. Uh, but Stephen, you're shattering some of my illusions. I <laughs> thought blockchain uh, did away with the need for security. Uh, so tell us about kind of some of the challenges in the digital asset space that Fireblocks helps overcome. Yeah. So, I mean, if you think about blockchain, everything is operated, you know, with access to the Internet. Right. And so if you look at the genesis of our company, which was really around 
uh, Michael Shaloff and team uh, engaging after the Lazarus hack of South Korean exchanges, there was a view that there was not really an enterprise grade infrastructure to allow digital asset players to grow and scale their businesses. And the, the kind of the broader thesis was in order for revenue to really be generated, assets needed to move, right? But inherently, the solutions in the space were built around, you know, cold storage or air gapped, you know, HSM type uh, security models, which weren't really purpose built for the idea that you needed to move Bitcoin or Ethereum or USDC or any other asset on chain to settle in real time. Uh, and so that is where, you know, this rub came to be. And, and our view is that we could actually implement a technology application that would solve this. And, and that's what Firebox has been able to do so far. Airgap and cold wallets, uh, just help us understand those both. Yeah. So <laughs> when you're talking about Airgap, it's the idea that the application securing the private key is not at all or ever connected to the Internet. Right. Because that Internet connectivity provides a vulnerability for a malicious actor to be able to uh theoretically compromise the private key. Yeah, I think it's a server in a room with a lock and key that has no connection. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Now, um, Fireblocks doesn't depend on traditional digital asset wallets, but uses MPC technology. Can you explain that and how that enhances security? Yeah, so the idea of MPC, and, and it's been around for a while, but the, the current evolution of it is is this idea that uh, it's multi-party computation. Uh, and, and really within that is uh, the difference between multi-party computation and multi-sig is this idea of a single point of compromise. And as you see that everyone moving to space, it really is that at the development of the key uh, of the transaction signing within multi-party computation, uh, the key shares, right, which are used to sign the transaction, never come together in a single point, right, to sign basically that private key, right? Each one of those key shares basically process the transaction on their own and using like some concepts called zero knowledge proofs and other things, they're able to verify that each of the other shares is correct uh, and basically transmit that transaction directly via the public address. Uh, now, the reason this becomes important is this idea of uh, a single point of compromise or the private key uh, coming together represents a single attack vector for a malicious, a malicious actor to actually overtake the, the private key and theoretically overtake your assets. And so if you actually distribute that out and make sure that those pieces and components never come together, you make it harder for a malicious actor to figure out all those different key components uh, and then overtake them all simultaneously and then theoretically take over your wallet. So that evolution in the technolo technological approach is, is what MPC has been doing. Uh, and we've seen more and more providers in the space move towards MPC. And how does that impact speed? Yeah, so obviously there's the, the broader iteration of uh, kind of uh, the zero knowledge proofs, right? So going through this transaction processing basis, uh, and that typically can reduce speed. Now, what we've done at Fireblocks is we've actually developed uh, a new algorithm called MPCCMP. Uh, and what that actually allowed you to do, we have a cryptography team at Fireblocks and we work with Professor Rand Canetti from Boston University. Uh, it actually goes through a process of pre-processing, right? And, and basically uh, reduces the iterative number of rounds that are needed to basically confirm a transaction uh, by eight times. 
right? And so basically what used to be a process that was eight times longer uh, has now been compressed, right? Which means that we still get the same speed efficiencies or similar speed efficiencies as you know, other transaction signing uh, uh, models. Okay, uh, Stephen, um, I understand you're based here in uh, the in the region, yeah. um, and you look after a few hundred clients. Uh, tell us about the institutions that uh, w you work with. Yeah, so we, you know, one of the things about Fireblocks that I think is unique is the range of customers that we work with. So uh, obviously we work with large banks, the likes of uh, ANZ Bank in, in Australia. I think it's um, ANZ. ANZ Bank <laughs> in Australia, not ANZ. My Americanness is getting a hold of me. Um, and, and folks like CM Commercial and, and, and others. But we also work with, you know, retail and fintech platforms and, and we work with, uh, you know, uh, hedge funds and market makers and DeFi protocols and, and foundations. It, it's a huge range, right? Because as we think about kind of the use cases, they range from broader treasury through trading, through DeFi allocation, through uh, tokenization. And, and there, you know, while there may be different permutations, the base technology applications all exist across that spectrum. So, you know, we have a wide number of, uh, of customers, pretty heavy in the retail and fintech uh, application or, or platforms plays. Um, but it's been exciting for us to see kind of the broader growth uh, here in Asia. Well, we've heard a common restraint, uh, refrain from many of the guests about how the uh, silver lining to the dark cloud of the pandemic has been the technology adoption. Mm -hmm. How have you seen the growth of the industry in the last three years? Yeah, so uh, I'll give you a funny antidote, right? I mean, for, for Fireblocks, when we first came out, I've been with the team uh, in some capacity for four years, right? The idea of signing a transaction on a mobile device and in a distributed way in 2018 was pretty crazy. Now we had a set of pilot customers, uh, Genesis Galaxy and others that basically believed in this in this process. But, you know, we would go to different exchanges. We go to different market makers and we would say, hey, you should use Fireblocks, not only because it's secure from an MPC basis, but it really provides operational leverage and scale. And they would say, hey, we're all in the office together. We can go to our ledger device or we can go into the room and sign this transaction. There's no need for this. Right. And then during the pandemic, when people couldn't come into the office and, and workforces became increasingly more distributed and people were working remotely, this idea of a scalable and flexible infrastructure became more and more important. Right. And so you're starting to see this type of proliferation around technology applications that allow you to really operate at scale and give you that flexibility in different deployment models becoming more and more important. And we're seeing tons of different use cases emerging out of the pandemic uh, because people have had time to really focus and build, right? And I think that's been the exciting the exciting part of kind of working in the space right now. Now, um, one of the themes uh, we hear frequently is the uh, move to the metaverse. Okay. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and uh, what is Fireblocks' uh, role in the metaverse and uh, how are you uh, adapting? Yeah, look, I, I think for us, it's seeing all the unique use cases, right? So whether that be, you know, that Web3 play and really what is the technology and security approach around operating in Web3 becomes more and more important. You know, as in any new space, the risks, right, the security risks are still fully unknown, right? And so our job is to really say, what are the unique cases of people uh, you know, leveraging things like NFTs and Web3 infrastructure and uh, operating in this metaverse, what kind of different tools and services are folks going to need uh, to be you know, provided with? Uh, what are the unique use cases and what is 
the change in kind of the adoption model from a retail sense, what is that going to do in terms of technology, right? As more and more retail engages in the space, as more and more ownership of data and information because of the movement towards Web3 happens, how does that change the different security models that are needed to, to make sure people can interact safely and securely in, in this new space? And so those are the type of things we're thinking about. Uh, and we're doing a lot in terms of working with, you know, pretty critical design partners to build the right technology products for, for, for that movement into, into Web3. Now, in the last year, we've seen an, uh, uh, several breaches in mm -hmm. Web3 gaming, NFT and mm -hmm. others. Um, how is Fireblocks addressing some of the security issues in Web3? Yeah, so one of the unique things about the firm is it's never lost its focus on being a cybersecurity firm, right? We're not a financial services firm. We're a cybersecurity firm first. And so we've built a whole dedicated product unit, uh, unit around, you know, DeFi security products and security products overall that are built to say, what are the different attack vectors that we're seeing in this space? Now, if you actually look at a lot of the hacks in this space, they're from your typical cybersecurity, you know, attack vectors, yeah. phishing, right? Um, and, and this idea of basically gaining access into uh, the, the organization as a whole, not having the right governance and policy and procedures internally uh, around different actions that, you know, you make along your treasury wallets. They're not novel and complex. And, and well, they're complex, but they're not novel in terms of what we've seen in other spaces before. And so I think there's been uh, probably one of the bad things so far is there's been this race towards launching things in the market without you know managing the risk of, uh, of operating in the market, right? And a lot of the times what we try to say is you need to think about both, okay? It's not good enough to just launch a product or a project and get into the market and get users, but then be insecure, right? You should be thinking about both of those things equally, right? And maybe building that on your own would be difficult, but if you're able to find a partner like Fireblocks, we're thinking about that part for you, right? And we're enabling you to do that at scale. And you think about the product and building ecosystems and, and being innovative in that way, right? And, and that collaboration, we think, helps you be more and more successful. Now, Stephen, we're coming towards the end of day one at uh, Singapore FinTech Festival. What are your impressions of the event so far? Yeah, I mean, for me, Look, it's huge, right? I mean, I came in 2019, you know, before we moved uh, to Asia, and I thought, wow, this is quite large. And to kind of see this this scale uh, again in, in 2022 is exciting, right? And, and the energy that, that is here and exists here, I think it, it kind of galvanizes you heading towards the end of the year and, and being excited for what 2023 might hold. So it, it's been really impressive to see all the boosts and all the different partners. We're sitting across from WorldPay FIS, which is a partner of ours here at Fireblocks. And it's awesome to just see, you know, so many people gathered in one place thinking about, you know, what the future of financial services might be. Tracks in the Finiverse. Now, Stephen, a personal question. We ask our guests a, a segment we call Tracks in the Finiverse. So when you think about the metaverse and the Finiverse, is there a song that you'd want to bring with you? Is there a song that powers your journey or any music that comes to mind than when you think about uh, the opportunities in Web3? Listen, uh, right now, my favorite song is a, a song called Jimmy Cooks by Drake. Um, it's phenomenal. Uh, and, and I think every day when I go to work, I listen to that song, you know, once a day, just to really just get a little bit of energy going into the day about 
you know, engaging with our clients and, and seeing all the new and different opportunities and exciting opportunities. So I would definitely take that song with me into the metaverse. Uh, I'd be playing it pretty much all the time. Uh, I'm very happy to allow Drake to take over now. And thank you, Stephen Richardson, head of Asia Pacific with Fireblock for joining us on Waves in the Finiverse. Thanks for having me. But I can't get me cold, bro. Thank you, John Wayne. I bought them yellow stones. Love the way they hang, babe. The silicone. Everybody fake now. You could crack the code. This has been Waves in the Finiverse. Why not hit the subscribe or follow button so you never miss an episode? If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, then please leave us a review and a five-star rating. Thanks for listening. 